They needed an extra day of practice. They got it. They're going to win. This is the year they're going to finally do it. I've been waiting and waiting. I've been holding on to these clothes for 60 years. <laughs> and it's finally, finally, finally going to happen. So, right? My brother still lives there. And uh, we were talking yesterday. And it I, sounds like they're having a little snow event in Buffalo. <laughs> just just uh, a touch. It's so fun when, when the forecast says, you, we'll probably get one to three feet. <laughs> with, with, with stretches of maybe four or five. I'm just like, sincerely, John doesn't need to see. We'll put that there. There we go. Well, it is great to have you with us today, and um, what a fun morning. How has this week been? This has been kind of a back-to-school week and whatever. How you done? Well, not so good with the, uh, the, the fasting piece. Now, I, no? I have I've done it, but I can't lie to you. The, the experiences I had this week were like, they were moving and eye-opening. Uh, what I chose, one of the things I, I chose to give up was just candy. Okay. Uh, because I, I reflexively go for candy, so when it, when it comes to like the holiday season, there's just, there's candy everywhere. Yeah. And so I, I chose to give that up, and I get to school on, on Tuesday, and that's when the kids come back, and I have a kid come in first thing in the morning, like literally. This is the day after we start this fasting, right? Hey, Mr. Babb, I forgot, you know, before Christmas break, my family left early and I forgot to give you your, your present. I'm like, you don't have to give me a present. Stop. It's okay. It's fine. And I'm thinking that it's going to be another cup or something, you know, whatever. No. Kid sets down his backpack. So he hadn't even gone to his locker yet. Sets down his backpack and pulls out the biggest bag of gummy bears that I have ever seen. He's like, I know you love gummy bears, and I got this for you. Boom! And you, and you started singing, lead us not into yeah. temptation. Yeah. <laughs> but it gets worse, because I'm not kidding. Two minutes later, another kid comes in. Hey, Mr. Pep, wasn't here the day before break. Didn't get your present. And I was like, or I didn't give you your present. I was like, you don't have to give me this. I don't need a present. He's like, yeah, I do, because I know how much you like Sour Patch Kids. <laughs> and I got a bag. This wasn't an out of the bag, but it was just a quick toss with a, with a bag of Sour Patch Kids. And it gets worse because I have another kid that usually comes up to me after lunch. And for whatever reason, this kid uh, does not eat all of their lunch. And so I regularly, it's an eighth grader that comes up as I'm heading down to lunch. And regularly, I'll get something. It'll be, you know, apple slices or, you know, whatever. It's usually like celery sticks and healthy stuff. Nope, not this time. This time, the kid walked in and was like, hey, I have too many of these. And threw me Reese's Pieces, like little, the little, <laughs> like, uh, the movie theater box style Reese's Pieces. I'm like, this is, this is not okay. So, I, so what I love is Jesus is in heaven. He's sitting next to Peter and he's going, watch this. Get him again. Watch this. Get him again. This is going to be fun. Again. Yeah. No, it's horrible. <laughs> That's so, fantastic. Yeah. No, but it, yeah, it, it's been eye-opening. The amount of times that I've still reflexively, like I was at Shelly's house dropping Emmett off because he had a sleepover on Friday night with Aunt Shelly and she's got a bowl of M&Ms on the table and I yeah. just reflexively grabbed him and I'm like, Wait, I can't do this. Yeah. But it was it was neat to not just say like, "Hey, I'm I'm denying myself this." The the process of going through why why am right. I doing this? Right. What am I doing it for? Right, um, has been really meaningful this week. So it's I it, and I think one of the biggest uh, impacts of fasting is that exact word you're using, reflexive. There are so many things that we do reflexively instead of reflectively. Mm -hmm. There are so many things that we just we just 
impulse do? No thought. And, and, and it does cause us to stop and go, what am I doing? What am I doing? But then that, that reflexive action also gives us enough pause to say, wait a second, I want more of God. Mm-hmm. I want more of God. And so it, it is a real wake-up call. I think for me, I, I, you know, I've, I've done several different kinds of fasts through the years, and every time um, it, has, it has the same impact and it has unique impact. It's, it's strange that it's got, it's got both, both pieces, but I think for both, for both Kim and I this time, this has been a, it's just been a genuinely sacred experience. And, and the conversations I've had with many of you have just, it's been incredible to see what God is doing, waking up our hearts uh, to him and to hearing his call. So really, really good. And I, I hope they do that to you more this week too. That, <laughs> that'd just be fantastic. So um, I, I really hesitated sending you an email every day because I don't know, when I, when I get too many emails, eventually unsubscribe happens. I just get irritated with, all right, I don't need that much. But I really can't think of a better way to get out a message every day that hopefully is guiding the pieces of the fast for you. And for, you know, the, for this week, the focus has really been on um, introspection. You, you've got to start with, where am I with God? And where am I in terms of just confession and things like that? And then there's a shift that takes place from introspection to, to intercession. And so this week, uh, the, the things that will come to you will be more just really um, bold prayers that we're praying to God about situations that, that, that we really would like to see a breakthrough, mm-hmm. really like to see a breakthrough. So, um, so that'll, be, that'll be a shift that'll take place. Having said that, we still are offering you uh, in the update. We sent that out as well. You have the gospel readings there in case you're not using one of the apps to keep up, and I, very, very encouraging to be, you know, on the Bible app with so many other people who are tracking right along with the gospel reading and, and seeing what Jesus has to say to us. It's been a, a really great experience going through Matthew, hearing these words once again. Ironically, I'm still doing the one-year Bible too, so one-year Bible and, and the gospels are like a day or two off. And so I'll, I'll hear this, and I'm like, wait a second, I think I already listened to this. <laughs> oh, yeah, I did. I, I've got the other one going going as well. But taking in the Word of God that way is, is really so very important. So <clears throat> the thing I wanted to focus on as, as we get going this morning is what's going to be happening come the beginning of February, because we're going to take this gospel reading we're gonna, we've been doing and bringing it to groups. Mm-hmm. And uh, the groups are starting to populate on, on Planning Center, on our, on, on our church app, or on the website, you can start to see the groups that are being offered. Uh, some of the folks that are leading groups have led groups before. They do great groups, and we're glad that they're jumping on again. And then we have a handful that are, that are brand new, and, and it's really exciting to see uh, the way God is, is challenging some of our folks uh, to, to step up and do a group. So let me, let me tell you about a, a few that are, that are forming up. I, if, if you know... Um, if you know Dave Houston and Sam Carlisle, these two guys just have a real um, infectious enthusiasm for God. And, and last summer, um, I, I, I normally do all the setup of the baptismal tank and that sort of thing and with what was happening with the wing and all, 
uh, asked them to do it, and they've really, in the process, become, they've become friends. It's been cool to see that friendship form. Mm -hmm. And so they're going to be leading a group together. Sam's got a crazy work schedule, and so he can't, nece he can't necessarily be there every time, but be between the two of them. I think that's going to be a really, it's going to be a really powerful group. Then, um, I don't know if you've had a chance yet to meet Jimmy Welsh. Jimmy is just a, I'll tell you what, if, if, you, get a, if you get a chance to be around him, his his energy for God is just like boom all over you, you know, and he volunteers to pray with you, just a, a great a great spirit within him and uh, wanted him to get involved in leading a group and, and God is really placing a burden on him for, you know, just young men that need to grow up in the faith. And so uh, Jimmy's going to be leading that group along with Joe Lyle. The two of them are going to be teaming up together and, and leading a group for, for young guys. That, that's really going to be another incredible one. If you've not yet met um, Lon and Leslie Boroff, they've been coming to the church probably you know, over a year now, maybe even more, and, um, and really excited about it. They're going to go ahead and lead a, lead a group for, for men and women. That one will probably be offered on Friday night. So uh, we just, there, there are so many, and I, I know, you know, we'll bring out more as well. Olivia and Shelly are going to be doing a group together. I love the fact that Olivia is getting involved in leading, so, and that'll be with, with younger women. Um, but just look at the groups that are coming up. Do know that they're not all posted yet. Mm -hmm. So if you've looked and one doesn't fit you, keep looking, keep looking. And these groups are really, we're just going to be getting together, coming together and saying, here are the Gospels that we've read. Yeah. What did you learn? And taking those questions that we've been unpacking and talking about them together. So uh, the groups will last for February and March. We, our approach to groups, if you haven't been around before, uh, we do have people in church that have on their own formed up more long-term groups. That's great. In terms of what we offer as a church, we offer short-term groups, and we, we refer to this idea of Easy on-ramps, easy off-ramps. Sometimes when a church is all formed around, you know, life groups or whatever that, are, that form and they're together for years and years, it's hard to get into one of those mm -hmm. groups. So we want to make sure if you're new, you can get into one. And then the easy off-ramps, we've talked about this before. Sometimes you show up at your group, you're there for two weeks, and you go, this doesn't fit. But now you've signed your life away until you're 80. And so, uh, and so the off-ramp allows you the polite opportunity as well to say, I'll be here. It's eight weeks. I can handle it. And then, and then get on to a different group. So um, just a lot of great opportunities. Dominique's going to be leading a group. You've got, got a lot of really, really fun uh, groups coming up. So make sure you get a look at those and get, on, get into a group. What are, what, what are you going to do with kids? Well... I just had a, a brief conversation uh, about the weather, and weather is, yeah, it's, it's cold, but as long as the cars will start, then we can drive here, right? The only time we'll ever cancel is if there's a blizzard and the roads aren't cleared. So uh, tonight, high school, you can count on it. We'll be here unless, again, a, a buffalo-style blizzard somehow pops up and, yeah. and rolls through. So we'll be, we'll be here, and then uh, Wednesday, 6.30 to 8.30 with, with junior high. So we're on like normal this week. The other thing that was in the update regard, uh, regarding students is our dates for Green Lake and for Quest are both set, so you can look, uh, start looking for that. We're going to get sign-ups going here, uh, not right away, but, uh, but shortly. Uh, and I'm really excited. There's going to be some changes for, for, both, um, for both events that are just going to be, I think, really, really 
really good and challenging. They're going to they're gonna push us a little bit yeah. uh, Fresh. In, in some different Fresh. ways. That are, Yeah, it's going to make yeah. it really cool. So Awesome. Very, very good. Um, yeah, so just, you know, as you always do, drive aware, right? Mm-hmm. They, you know, I don't know what it is about this, this kind of weather, but um, it attracts cars to light poles. It's kind of weird. I'm driving up Route 6. I'm like, light pole down, light pole yeah. down. I'm like, there, there, it's something magnetic and beautiful that takes place between cars and light poles <laughs> when it's cold. So be aware, the light poles are still there, okay? <laughs> um, let's do this. Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 1 to 12, okay? You got it. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. Remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Jesus, I'm grateful that you started this great set of teaching with these words, reminding us of what it, what it means to live a kingdom life. I pray that, um, that you would challenge us constantly to live into these words. Uh, we love you. I thank you that you came to earth, that you came to a dangerous place, a place that was hostile to you and hostile to human life, And you came here and offered yourself as a sacrifice for our sins. Uh, Tremendous, tremendous gratitude we have for you, Jesus. Amen. You know, before you go crazy, I just realized that um, this shirt has caused confusion for more than one person. Uh, That whole 716, that's not the number of your years since the the Bills have won a Super Bowl. Um, (laughs) They're getting close. But um, that's the area code. Buffalo's area code, kind of a cool, fun little thing. So anyway, like I already said, we've been reading through the Gospels, and I'm grateful for the number of you that have taken on on the challenge of reading the Gospels together. Every day just taking in some of the Word of God, some of what Jesus says to us directly, seeing these stories. And I hope that they've, um, I hope they've, they've challenged you in this sense, that you have stopped and gone, wow, this is really real. These things really happened. And as you're listening to them, as, as you're being impacted by them, it's like, wow, this really happened. And I hope that that's bringing you into uh, you know, something of a freshness of your relationship with Jesus. As we're reading through them, we're asking four simple questions every time we read. And there's kind of a fifth as well, but four simple questions. The first one is, what surprised you? So you're looking at that passage, and there might be something that just kind of catches you off guard. I didn't expect it to turn out that way, or, or wow, I'm really I'm surprised that Jesus said that, or said that that way. There's something that catches you off guard. What surprised you? I'm finding that question in particular. What surprised you? 
to be the one that is, that is opening my eyes to what's happening in a passage. Very familiar passages, and yet I'm going, wow, what is that all about? So what surprised you? What did you learn about God? And by God, that's more than just God the Father, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. What did Scripture teach you about God? What did Scripture teach you, the third question, about people? So that could be the human race in general. It could be what it's teaching you about you or about, about the people around you. So you've got, you've got those, those three questions that you're working through. What, what surprised you? What did you learn about God? What did you learn about people? And then it comes to that application question of, what do I do with this now? You know, so now I know this fact, I know this teaching, how am I supposed to live it? And then the fifth question that, that you, might not, you might not have every day, but, but, but you might, who knows, is just, what did I discover here that I need to study more? What, what, what has kind of provoked a question that I need to go look up more or talk to somebody and find out more. So what I'm going to do during this part of this teaching every, every week is many of you are really good at texting me or emailing me and saying, I don't get this. Help. And rather than, rather than answering right on the spot, I'm going to try to go ahead and answer some of those on Sunday morning. Because here's what I figure. If you're asking it, other people are asking it too. And the interesting thing is I was asked three questions this week by more than one person. I mean, it's crazy how these three were kind of highlight questions. So not only are you asking the questions, but Dennis at SouthfieldChurch.com, or, or if you want a wiser person, Kim at SouthfieldChurch.com, but you can, you can go ahead and, and ask the questions, and, and uh, we'll try to bring those on Sunday morning. So, so the first one I loved, and it really, it caused me to wrestle a little bit, and that's the whole idea, what's God's role in temptation? What, what role does God have in temptation? When, when a person is being tempted to sin, where is God in all of this? Um, the Bible teaches us clearly, God never tempts anyone. He is not a tempter. Uh, the book of James tells us that. When tempted, no one should ever say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone but each person, it says, is dragged away by their own desires and enticed. So it's what's going on inside of us that's the problem. James says it. God does not tempt. All right, great, beautiful. And then last week we spent time with Matthew 4.1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit, not the evil spirit, the Holy Spirit, led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Hold the phone. So God doesn't tempt anyone, but the Holy Spirit, who is God, leads Jesus, who is God, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. What do you do with this? Now, you may look at this as a technicality, but I don't think it is. I think it really, it really, really matters. God never tempts anyone, but God does allow us to be tempted. Notice it didn't say the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the Holy Spirit. Said it led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He allowed the devil to tempt Jesus. You go back to the book of Job. You know, Satan is in the court of heaven talking to God, and God says, have you considered my servant Job? And I said, yes. And Satan says, yes, I had. Of course he lives a great life. You've, you've cushioned him. You've given him everything he wants. And God says, fine, have at him. Do anything but kill him. I promise you he won't change. Now, that may not be very encouraging to you, that God's willing to say, I won't tempt you, but I'll let him do it. 
But nonetheless, God's role in temptation is not to lead us into temptation. He doesn't, he doesn't tempt us himself. But he does allow Satan and his demons to give us that opportunity. And here's the real, this is the difference maker right here. James talks about trials and temptations. And the two are different. A trial is different than a temptation. This morning is a trial. When it's 10 below, that's a trial to the human soul. What are we going to do with that? Am I going to get up, get out there, go for it? Am I going to stay comfy? What am I going to do? That's a trial, right? Um, a temptation might be, I'm not even going to go there. Anyway, you know what a temptation is. Temptations are different than trials, and it all comes down to this. It comes down to intent. When God tests us, when he sends a trial our way, it's to challenge us to grow. It's to challenge our character. It's to, it's to strengthen our faith. And so the, the tests, and we've all been through them, folks. We've all been through tests and trials. And we know full well that those are intended for us ultimately. It talks about our faith being perfected. When, when, when those trials happen, we are mature and complete, not lacking anything. God's intent is to grow you. Satan's intent is to get you to sin. That's a temptation. And what's beautiful, Jesus was tempted, which means what? Temptation is not a sin. When you're tempted, you don't have to confess, God, I was tempted, I'm sorry. No, that's called being human. We're all tempted. It's what you do with the temptation. If you decide to follow the temptation, temptation and sin, then you do need to confess to God. So again, you might just look at this as a technicality. It's not a technicality. God is not a tempter. He does not tempt us. But he does allow us to be tempted, which then I think when you think about the Lord's Prayer, and this is something that, that I was jogged a bit in the conversation, and even Kim said the same thing. The Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Could it be that when Jesus says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, that he's saying, God, it would be great if you didn't let me go there. It would be great if you would protect me even from temptation. And there's nothing wrong with saying, God, just don't let Satan have a hand on me. Don't let him near me. So the second one had to do with Matthew chapter 7. Tough words. And it was about the gates, the broad road and the narrow road, the broad gate and the narrow gate. Matthew 7, 13 says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So when you're looking at this, the first question, I guess, would be, what does this mean? What is Jesus saying? And to some degree, the passage is self-evident. This, this passage comes toward the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Some people believe this is actually, this is the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. And then you have some other closing thoughts. But this kind of brings it all together. So what has Jesus set up until now? I'm telling you what, in my view, everything he said in the Sermon on the Mount is difficult. Love your enemies. No. Yeah, no. Love your enemies. I said so. He says, you know, you thought adultery was sleeping with someone else? No, adultery is even the way you're looking at them and thinking about it and what you're longing for right now. That's, that's a lot harder than, you know, I just have to legalistically avoid sex with someone. Uh, 
you think murdering is stabbing somebody, that hate that you have mothered for so long, that's murder. I'm telling you what, those are difficult things to hear. I like the idea that murder is only stabbing somebody. I don't like the idea that murder is what I've thought about some people. I, you know, I, I don't like that. That's, that's the narrow road. That's the narrow gate. And Jesus says, most people don't want to go there. Most people would rather get drunk and sleep with somebody on Saturday night than read their Bible, listen to worship music, and prepare for Sunday morning. Right? I had a pastor growing up. I don't know why he did this. We had a Christian school. We had chapel all the time. And he'd say, folks, sin is not fun. I'm like, what life do you live? Sin's a blast. Sin's a lot of fun for a minute. And then the consequences come and kick you. But it's fun. And for most people, they would rather go for the fun. They'd rather go for the easy than the discipline, than, than the hard path. So to some degree, this is self-evident, right? He's, he's basically saying, everything I've set up until now, this is the hard path. And there are going to be a lot of people who don't want to go there. What does it imply? What implies what we already know? That more people would rather not follow God than follow God. More people would rather live their own life and go their own way than be under the submission of God, the Father, Son, and Spirit. And we know that it's, it's self-evident, it's sadly self-evident, that the majority of people would rather just have fun, have a good time, and throw God to the side. And that, I don't know about you, but I hear that, and it hurts. It hurts. It just hurts. As I've been praying the noon prayer, the noon prayer for me has still been the prayer for the lost. There are two things I prayed right now every time I pray the noon prayer. Not only do I pray for the, for the names that I have, but I pray for two things. I pray, God, give me compassion for lost people because I can, be, I can have a lack of compassion. And then I say, give me conviction. Conviction that is, this is real, and if their path doesn't change, it is not going to end well for them. And I think, sadly, for a lot of us, we don't live with that spirit of conviction that we need to be telling people, you're on the wrong path. You're on the wrong path. And so what does it do? It compels us. It compels us to have those conversations, to have those conversations and know that their eternity, people's eternity is truly at stake. And we need to take that seriously. The third one, I, this, I, how do we cover this in three minutes or less? Demonic possession. Oh, my word. So, you know, you have in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus comes to the other side of the lake, and there are these two demon-possessed men. They come out from the tombs. They're so violent that people wouldn't... Maybe you have a dog like that in your neighborhood, that you walk to the other side of the street. These people walk to the other side of the street because these two demonic people are in the graveyard, and, and they see Jesus. What do you want with us, Son of God? Have you come here now to torture us before our appointed time? They're, they're infested with demons. There's a person in the Bible that says, my name is Legion, for there are many demons within me. Mary, Mary Magdalene was, was infested with demons. What do we do with that? What's that all about? Well, let me say, first of all, on demon possession, demons are real. They're real. Satan is real. It's not just a figurative thought. It's not a personification of evil. These are actual beings. I know, you hear that with modern ears, and you're like, really, you believe that stuff? Well, here's what I believe. I believe the Bible. 
And the Bible says this is, it's real. And if anything, I wonder sometimes if as moderns there are things going on in our world that we attribute to things when in fact it is really the hassling of demons that's taking place in people's lives. And we as the church don't take demonic activity as seriously as we should. Demons can inhabit non-believers. That's what we learn in the Word of God. They can infest a non-believer. They, they can be present in the life and heart of a non-believer and control their life. Here's the good news. They cannot inhabit a believer. If you're a believer, demons can't dwell in you. Why? Because you already have a spirit in you, and he is very holy. And so only one spirit can inhabit you. If you're a believer, the Holy Spirit inhabits you. Good news. Bad news? Demons can still harass you. They can still harass you. They can still cause trouble. They can still, you know, you think about the prayers that Daniel prayed. His, the answer to the prayer was held up by demonic activity. It was stopped by demonic activity. They can still harass us. And I think this is a piece of our praying. God, protect us from the evil one. Protect us from the evil one. Deliver us from the evil one. And honestly, I believe as our, as our world gets darker and darker, we are seeing more and more of an expression of demonic activity in our world. And we need to know that we can be hassled by demons. And finally about demons, I would say they are pleased by our dismissal of them. They're thrilled that we just view it as part of ancient writing and stupid. It's not real. Don't worry about it. Satan loves nothing better than you not believing that he is real and that his demons, fallen angels, are real as well. Um, too, much, too much to say, too little time, too great resources. I love recommending the screw tape letters. Allegory, so it's not, it's not factual in terms of, you know, laying out facts about demons, but I think C.S. Lewis does a great job showing you how the evil one works. Pay attention to that. And then the other one, this is written by a man named C. Fred Dickinson. He was a professor at Moody Bible Institute for many years. He wrote a book called Angels Elect and Evil based on a course he taught, Angels Elect and Evil. And when you start to read it, you go, man, this feels like class notes, because it was. This is, these are his lecture notes, okay, in outline form often, but it just, it gives you everything you want to know about the good guys and the bad guys. It has a great section about all the, all the good angels of heaven, and then it has a section about Satan and a section about his demons. So very, very good sound based on scripture. You want to dig into this more and understand it, I greatly recommend uh, that book. So let's go to Matthew chapter 5 to seven for a few moments here. Matthew 5 to 7, I wanted to talk a bit about the Sermon on the Mount. This is, this is that teaching that comes, Jesus has called his disciples to him. He's starting, he's starting to influence these people. And we have this moment that's called, that, this teaching that's referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. What is it all about? How is it structured? And in what ways is the Sermon on the Mount misunderstood or misinterpreted? So let's start with this. The Sermon on the Mount is, it is the definitive declaration on kingdom living. Jesus comes to say, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, this is what it looks like. 
If you want to be a part of kingdom life, this is what it looks like. For the next three chapters, five, six, seven, you are going to learn what it means to walk as a devoted Christ follower. You could refer to it as his manifesto. This was the declaration on kingdom life. And as we already read, it starts with the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes start with the word blessed all the time. Some, some translations have, have uh, translated the word for blessed as happy. It's a lot more than happy. It's a lot more than happy. In fact, it's probably much more closely related to the Hebrew word shalom. Shalom, which refers to peace and wholeness. So what Jesus is saying is if this is the way you're living, you are going to live a wonderfully contented life. You are going to be able to walk through the storm and you're going to be handling this in a way that other people do not. You're a, you're a blessed person. You're a person living in perfect peace. You're living in shalom. The other thing we see though here as you start reading the Beatitudes is that Jesus, from the start, establishes the kingdom as non-physical. It's a non-physical kingdom. So for years, the Jews have been waiting for the coming of a Messiah, and they believe that the Messiah is going to help them with their physical oppressors. This Messiah is going to finally throw off the rule of Rome. And Jesus comes to say, I know y'all are worried about this political stuff. Stop worrying about it. Because the thing that matters is my kingdom in your heart. So he starts with something like, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He does not just say, blessed are the poor. He doesn't say, blessed are the poor in wallet, blessed are the poor in purse, blessed are the poor in bank account, blessed are the poor in property, blessed are the poor in clothing, blessed are the poor in food. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now we understand what it is to be poor Physically, what does it mean to be poor spiritually? It means I am bankrupt. I flip my spiritual pockets open. There is nothing there. I have nothing. I am broke. And he says, congratulations. When you finally arrive at the point of broke, yours is the kingdom of heaven. As long as you think you've got something in your pocket that you can give to God, you're not there yet. You're there when you finally declare spiritual bankruptcy. I am broke. That's the point that God says. Now we can do something here. So we, this is, it's, it's, a, it's a manifesto, but it's a manifesto about kingdom life, not just about the physical world. It's interesting. It stands in contrast with the law of Moses. Moses, at the beginning, during his ministry, what does he do? Heads up Sinai, Ten Commandments. And, the, and, this, and these are, this is the law by which we will live. Jesus, Sermon on the Mount, not Mount Sinai, but a mountain, to declare this is what kingdom living looks like. So there's some, there's some comparison and contrast going on there with the law of Moses. Now, how is it misunderstood? I think there are several ways that the, that the, that the law is, or that the, that the Sermon on the Mount is misunderstood. One was actually, there, were, there was a, there was a uh, theological teaching for many years that believed, I don't know if they're still around, but they believed this, that Jesus came and in the Sermon on the Mount, he presented kingdom life and was saying, if you'll accept me right now, I'll establish the kingdom. He was saying to the Jews, if you'll accept what I'm saying right now, if you'll make me king, I'll set up the kingdom right now. 
And of course, they rejected him, and so he had to go plan B, die on the cross. No, that was plan A all along. There was no offering of the kingdom, and the Jews rejected, and so now Jesus had to die on the cross instead. This was a declaration of what life would look like in the kingdom of God here on earth and in heaven if we live out the teaching of Jesus in our hearts. Another misunderstanding is that it does not replace the law. Do not murder doesn't go away. Do not commit adultery does not go away. The law does not go away. What Jesus says is, you've been, you've been, you've been sticking with the technicalities of the law. Congratulations, you didn't commit adultery. Congratulations, you haven't killed anybody yet. But what you've been doing with hate, what you've been doing with lust is bad news. It's sin. So it doesn't replace the law. It helps us to understand the law more clearly. From time to time, Jesus will say this line, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. And, and a surface reading of that, you might think what Jesus is saying is, this is what Moses said, but this is what I say. But what Jesus is really saying is, the religious leaders through the years have cluttered up. They have messed up the interpretation of what the law was saying. They've added rule to rule to rule to rule and made that sin too. So one example that I love, uh, the teaching on the Sabbath. The Pharisees decided that if you spit on the Sabbath, it was sin. Because if you spit, your spit would roll dirt. And that was work. So spitting on the Sabbath was sin. Thus saith the Pharisee. Not thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Pharisee. Jesus was saying all that baggage that the Pharisees have added onto the law, you have heard it said? No. I say unto you, and he says, this, this, is, this is the spirit of the law. Because they, the Pharisees didn't understand the spirit of the law at all. A piece of our fast at our house has been, um, there is no, not only no news coming into our house, which is lovely, there's no modern, uh, there's no modern media coming in at all, you know, in terms of like, we're not watching TV shows or anything like that. It's like all Jesus stuff all the time. So we, we've just been chosen, 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 chosen. You know, there's, there's been this nonstop flow of, of these, of these uh, Jesus shows. And um, we just watched the feeding of the 5,000. And he's feeding these people, many of whom are not Jews. They're, he's feeding these people. And the Pharisees come along, and they, they want to know what just happened here. And they're looking for witnesses to hold, to hold against Jesus what he's just done. And one of the persons said, you can't believe it. He just, he just fed us all with five loaves and two fish. And, and, and they look at him, and they realize he's not a Jew. And are you a Jew? No. Oh, <gasps> we caught him. There it is. He's eating, with, he's eating with Gentiles. He's eating with sinners. And I love it. As the person's walking away, they go, can you believe it? This guy just performed a miracle, and all they can worry about is he ate with the wrong people. That's what the Pharisees were doing. And that's what Jesus was saying. Would you, would you throw away the junk these people are teaching and get back to what God was saying. That's what, that's what Jesus is declaring. Another uh, how is it misunderstood is, is just simply that so much of the Sermon on the Mount really is written in culture. It's written in the culture of the time. 
And so as you're listening to different examples, you know, broad is the gate, narrow is the path. I mean, well, we don't have broad gates and narrow paths and all these things. So it does, some of this requires a little bit of extra work to kind of stop and go, what was Jesus talking about in his context, in his time? And as we take the time to understand his context in his time, it's amazing how we get the opportunity uh, to grow in what Jesus has to say. So here's what's fun. I'm looking at the schedule. At 9.41, I'm supposed to pray. And I have this and 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 this. The end. So let me tell you what I want you to do with all that, okay? Yesterday, we took Psalm 51 as a place of confession of our souls to God. Would you today do the same thing with the Sermon on the Mount? Take Matthew chapter 5 to 7 and just start reading through the paragraphs and confess to God where, you're, where, where your heart is not where it should be. You are the light of the world. Am I really? You are the salt of the earth. Am I really? Lust in your heart is bad news. Am I lusting? Okay, I haven't murdered anybody yet. But doggone it, I have a list of people I wouldn't mind doing away with. Forgive me. Broad is the gate, narrow is the path. I have friends that if they don't find out about Jesus, they're going to hell. Does that matter to me? Forgive me. So just take the Sermon on the Mount, subject by subject, Sometime today, pray it to God. And if Jesus convicts you to say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Forgive me. And you know what I love? And fasting gets misunderstood because it's seen sometimes in religious circles as, as penance. We're paying for our sin. You can't pay for your sin no matter how you try. Only Jesus can pay for your sin. Fasting wakes us up. It, it gives us sensitivity. I tell you what, I've been bawling with about everything this week. It's pitiful. It's like I'm so emotionally raw with what we're going through right now. It gives us sensitivity, far greater sensitivity to my sin this week than normal. Ask God for forgiveness and then, and then, and then receive grace. Reach out your hands and receive grace. You don't have to keep paying for it. Confess your sins. He is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And that's why we go to communion. Because we're reminded that we don't have to pay for our sins. He already has. And so Jesus, today, as we make the walk to communion, we recognize again that we are sinful beings, that we've done things wrong again this week that require confession. And we're sorry, sincerely sorry. We're not, we're not just wiping things away easily. We're sincerely sorry and in our sincere sorrow, we also realize that you are a God of grace and forgiveness, and we receive your grace, we receive your forgiveness. We are grateful and thankful for your love. And so as we, as we take the bread and the cup today, let it not just be another perfunctory act that we walk through, another, another symbol, another ritual, another routine, but allow it to be a moving moment where we, where we experience deep in our hearts the forgiveness and grace of God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray this. Amen.
tables at the front and the back, communion on either side of the platform. Let's go to communion. Wonderful to hear a song that reminds us that God is always, he's always present with us. And to have those moments when you're gathered with his people, that you can sense that presence, that you know that it is truly Emmanuel, God with us, that the spirit rests on us and within us, and we get the chance to, to share that with each other for about seven minutes. So we are going to do our seven minutes here at the end, and I hope you enjoy that. It's a special day in, 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 in many ways, and one of them is we have, we have some people that have traveled from far away to be here today. So Blake and Cameron Herzberger are here from Ohio, as well as Zeke, and, and Rachel Johnson made it all the way back, all the way from San Antonio. Stephen's not here, right? Just... Yeah, just, just Rachel. And Rachel Rachel brought a guest as well, and we'll get a chance to meet her in person in April, right? So very excited about that. So she's here for a shower, and I, I love the fact that you travel back from Texas for a shower in Ohio or in Illinois, and it's minus 10. It'll be a story <laughs> that will be shared for, for generations to come, the wonderful cold day that people gathered at Aurelio's to celebrate a new life coming into the world. This is the reason I love these days. You will not forget today. You will not forget the cold in your face. You will not forget it. You won't forget that you braved getting out and starting your car and getting the heat on and driving all the way here. You'll never forget it. That's a piece of what makes today so fun, and I love it, and I love that you had the heart to be here. Our world has reflexively fallen into this state of saying to people, be warm and safe, be warm and safe. Here's my challenge to you today. Be courageous and be resilient. Be courageous and resilient. There's a great book by Lewis, about Lewis and Clark written by Stephen Ambrose called Undaunted Courage. That's what I want on the label of my life. Be courageous and be resilient and do that for at least seven minutes with your friends. See ya. <laughs>